Welcome to Media Roots Radio. I'm Abby Martin. Today we're excited to feature an interview with Barrett Brown. Brown is a journalist and the founder of Project PM, a crowdsourced investigation into the cyber-industrial complex, which uncovered a vast collaboration between corporations and foreign agents to subvert social movements. For reporting on the 2011 Strat 4 intelligence hack by the Anonymous Collective, Barrett faced a draconian 100 years in prison and was ultimately sentenced to 63 months. Now Barrett is helping filter reality by working on the Pursuance Project, a software platform he designed to help journalists, researchers, and activists collaborate. Barrett, thank you so much for taking the time to join Robbie and I today. Thank you for having me. So you launched Pursuance Project. It's an open source software that enables individuals to organize in the pursuit of shared goals. Talk about what this means for laymen and why you started this undertaking. We're trying to solve a couple of, of very fundamental problems, uh, one of which is how do you get large numbers of people into a shared space and allow them to work together and self-organize into cohesive, scalable entities uh, that can grow perpetually without uh, becoming over-encumbered, uh, that can grow more refined as they expand, and that can ultimately uh, confront criminalized institutions in ways that are just not viable right now. And that's that's essentially what we're trying to do. Uh, we, pursuance, is, you know, it's the, the nuances and nuts and bolts are hard to, hard to explain without, you know, visual aids because it's a very visualized system. But uh, in, in the broad, uh, this, this is this is an instance of what we call process democracy, as opposed to institutional democracy. This is a method whereby there's no there's no layer, there's no initial arbitrary layer in which some small group decides the terms of of a vote or or builds a charter or constitution. This is something in which every single participant has the equal ability to form agreements, start their start pursuances. Uh, it, it's something that that allows people to do to, to uh, to come together and work efficiently uh, without all the all the friction that we've seen both in institutions and in amorphous you know movements. Uh, so we're we're kind of trying to solve. We're trying to, aside from these broad problems, solve a lot of little problems of the sort that uh, you know we we saw in these movements like Occupy or Anonymous, and at the same time, pro- the sort of problems that come up in any institutional setting, any NGO nonprofit that uses these older structures to organize their work. So. This idea of um, when I was reading about Pursuance Project, one of the illustrations is, and I don't know if it was from you or if it was from documentation on the website, but the idea of like a bunch of members of Pursuance Project sort of analyzing a massive like dump or, or leak of information of some kind. I think, yeah, I think you're referring to the Observer article that came out uh, last year. Uh, they had watched someone at the uh, New York Observer had watched one of our video uh, explanations and uh, did a piece, and they used that example of I think I think it was the example of the, uh, when Google uh, was being you know looked at and assailed for for these search terms that completed automatically and were you know led to racist or or fascist uh, results uh, by these search term completions. The example was uh, a lot of people, people could do crowdsource research uh, using this to find as many examples as possible, uh, analyze them, get them to the press or other, other mediums that needed, that needed them. Uh, and, and, that, and that's definitely one of the major sort of use cases of pursuance is crowdsourcing. The other major ones aside from that are uh, you know, NGOs, uh, the kind of online sort of mass activism that we saw you know, very effectively against SOPA in 2011-12. 
a lot, a lot of these things that have already been tried and tested. And, and of course, the great thing about pursuance is that beyond that, uh, when you get people, individuals out there together like this, with this framework, uh, a lot of great ideas will come to the fore that uh, in other, you know, methods of collaboration uh, would otherwise be stifled or, or face, face a great deal of barriers uh, to getting themselves heard. So just as, in terms of a comparison to like other methods or organizations, like I guess compare what you're doing to the example of, say, WikiLeaks getting a secure drop dump of some massive leak and then distributing it through their channels. Just just give us a, a, a contrast between what the Pursuance Project would, how they would deal with something like that, or how the community would deal with something like that, and how it would be distributed differently from something like, for example, WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks is kind of a black box to the outside, and that's they have good reasons uh, for that. Uh, you know, it's something that was created and, and brought into being mostly by one person, and then, you know, we got a great deal of assistance afterwards. Uh, but so with pursuance, this this is a much broader thing, as in there will be individual pursuances that do things very much like what WikiLeaks, WikiLeaks does, which is to uh, uh, allow whistleblowers to bring them documents and then analyze them and put them out and make sure they get attention. Uh, that That's something that will be, rep be replicated, you know, uh, over and over again by different people using different methods. And they'll have a chance to really experiment uh, with that, you know, in, in a very secure uh, environment that, you know, uh, so, so the, the main difference here is that WikiLeaks is, is an organization to basically do one thing. Uh, pursuance is something that can facilitate the same kind of work as WikiLeaks does uh, in different ways, uh, while also allowing for people to organize around that uh, to better, you know, get things done with that information. As in, so this, this, is, this is very much a crowdsourcing platform, a crowdsourced research platform in some ways, but it's also really intended to get people to... Uh, to, to do the things that we already know work in various contexts and to be develop new ways uh, of doing those and to perpetuate those. This is, this is something that evolves very uh, on several fronts. Uh, for instance, when you make a pursuance, if it turns, if, if you find that it works very well for some task, you, you can take a copy of that pursuance, this structure, which is it's like a living organizational chart is the, is the easiest way to describe it. Uh, make a copy of it, post it to our central library, annotate it, and say, look, we, we built this structure to do this kind of work. We developed it this way. We found that it's very good for this kind of thing. Uh, feel free to use it. And then so everyone coming in the pursuance system, into the, this great visualized ecosystem, uh, can see that, can access that, and, and make a copy, and then use it themselves for something similar, refine it further, put a copy back in the main, uh, main library. And so it, it, it's intended to not just allow people to come up with ideas and, and get them enacted and get them tried, uh, but also for everyone to have access to those ideas uh, to the extent that they're uh, appropriate for, for widespread use uh, and to refine them further. It, it's very much intended to harness uh, all the skills and ideas and talents and knowledge uh, of this huge uh, spectrum of, of people who support the open society and just societies. I'm curious how... And I, I hate to keep drawing WikiLeaks comparisons because I, I know that what you're doing with Pursuance is a, has a wider, um, is broader in what, it, in what it's capable of doing. But one of the things that happened with um, the WikiLeaks dumps, as you know, during the 2016 election cycle was there was this massive crowdsourced energy on places like Reddit, 4chan, that sort of interpreted a lot of those Podesta email leaks into sort of bizarre and unsavory you know, in hyperbolic <laughs> places. 
So I'm wondering through Pursuance Project, through this sort of crowdsourced energy, how do you prevent something like that from happening where sort of, you know, a large group of people form, they, they believe they're seeing, you know, something almost like reading tea leaves in a leak and then they all pursue sort of a bizarre interpretation of that like is there a i guess what i'm asking is is there a vetting system no i understand that yeah. prevent that, that, prevents that? that that's the other broad fundamental problem that we're, we're trying to if not solve entirely at least address and alleviate you know based on the things that we've learned from the past 10 years and, and reddit is a great example that that was actually the original thing i was i was looking at you know in 2009 when i was first started thinking about this kind of thing you know and reddit of course was a very in its early days especially you know was a very unique very erudite place it, it sort of it was sort of a a barrier to entry in so much as you had to know about Reddit. And if you knew about Reddit, you were probably uh, some kind of professional. You were probably some some sort of, uh, you were probably someone who was very intellectually curious and, and probably kind of intellectually honest compared to the average person. And so it was a great place to, to do crowdsource research and to pick up things. And it still is to some extent. And it's, it's certainly not true that, you know, everyone that came after 2007, 2008, you know, were of lesser caliber. It's not true at all. But there is that tendency that as the barrier to entry, you know, lowers, uh, and this is true of the whole internet, you know, obviously there, there was, you know, uh, yeah. and, and so the question is, how do we solve that? And, and so with pursuance, first of all, we populate it. This is not a content neutral, uh, a platform like Reddit is, or like Facebook is, or, you know, they're becoming less content neutral. Uh, but it, it's not something that, that we're trying to empower everyone. It's not something we're letting in every single person, cops, fascists, whatever. <laughs> uh, we populate it first by, you know, we have 1900 people that have, and, and organizations that have signed up thus far. And we ask people who, who apply to participate, uh, we say, look, we want you to agree with the following sort of basic, somewhat arbitrary, but still very important uh, precepts that you oppose the police state, however you understand it, that you oppose the national security state, however you understand it, the surveillance state, uh, that you oppose the drug war, that, that you do not oppose the rights of, of human beings to, to uh, marry, uh, regardless of gender. Those are, those are, we know we could have chosen all kinds of other uh, precepts, uh, and there's some of them that are, that are kind of uh, overlapping here, but we, what we do that first of all to give that to give that message to attract certain kind of people and to uh offend another kind of person and try to keep them away beyond that we handpick the first uh participants after that all these participants uh populate the system further by by themselves bringing in some set number of people they're allowed to uh to invite every single month so we ultimately lose control over time of of the population at large we have we have a very good chance to seed it and to kind of push it in a certain direction uh, but but this 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 is a this is you know this is a better way of ensuring of helping to ensure a, a you know we have to make a value judgment here but we call it you know a superior population a population of people who are evidence based thinkers etc now that doesn't 100 percent solve the problem some of the people that we handpick you know we're not going through a real interrogation process here uh, and, and you know over time you're going to have problematic people who are who are foolish you know who are you know not really uh, in favor of the open society and not necessarily capable of, of uh, handling nuance. But just being in the pursuant system itself doesn't really do anything for you. You act, to, to really be involved, you have to apply to join uh, an individual pursuance. And so at the level of the pursuance, uh, whoever creates a pursuance and however, however they set it to run and, and you know, depending on who they delegate uh, you know, power to and, and how they organize it, how, you know, depending on how democratic it is, there will be various requirements to join and beyond joining. Uh, to get into a position where uh, you are able to influence uh, things more than others. And there's no set way of doing that here. One of the important things about this is that the users, anyone can create a pursuance and anyone can set 
originally, you know, is, is this going to be a top-down, you know, autocratic pursuance where it's where it's somebody who's well-known and, and trusted and uh, he or she is running the show and people agree to join that? Or is it going to be entirely democratic or, or partly democratic where there's votes, uh, you know, on some things or there's you know, required unanimous votes in some cases? That's all uh, – there's, there's so many ways to set these things up such that no one can ever really say, hey, what gives you the right to do this? The, the, the rights are very much – uh, incremental. They're very much procedural. Uh, at no point is anyone ever a part of something uh, where they aren't explicitly uh, haven't explicitly agreed uh, with informed consent of what they're a part of. So you're going to have groups that, that some well-known journalist likes, and you're going to have you're going to have uh, people getting a sense of what that organization is going to be like, what that pursuance is going to be like, and you're going to have sort of these sort of human filters uh, that allow people, like a journalist, for instance. To allow, to build a, a large self-organized network very easily with with very little input that filters up back information of the sort that to the extent the network has been uh, effectively staffed uh, is only going to is only going to to uh, bring forward information that you know ultimately the people that that he himself uh, put in at the top uh, consider to be valuable. Now that again that's we're getting into the nuts and bolts where it's kind of hard to explain without a chart, but um, just imagine a, a filter uh, and imagine a filter made of human beings and uh, you understand both the pros and cons of that approach. It's something that we try, also try to alleviate further by, by making sure that a filter, that a large network uh, doesn't ex necessarily exclude important information from the margins. Uh, again, it's, as I said, it's hard to, it's hard to uh, express in this format. But the answer, the short answer is, we can never uh, ensure that we're going to that we're going to have a system that's entirely uh, uh, only involves uh, the erudite. But we can we can provide conditions in which that's going to be more the uh, more the rule than the exception. Right. Yeah. Um, it seems like you know things like Wikipedia and stuff has been kind of co opted by just a massive amount of people who are either paid by corporations or perhaps government agencies to just, you know, edit uh, to the narrative that is set from, you know, whoever's paying them. And, and these people are on there all day, every day doing this and correcting the record, et cetera. So I'm glad to see that there are a lot of uh, things put in place to prevent the co-optation of, of this project. And it seems like a really incredible one. Can you give us an example of like an, an issue um, for people who are still kind of in the weeds about the terminology and stuff of of what you're saying um, that could be applied certainly and th there, there's a number there, there's certain issues and certain sort of broad you know ideologies that are going to be you know play coming to play more here than others and that's that's just based on the kind of people that, that are approaching uh, one of the one good example that we've used already uh, is actually one of the pursuances that I'll be setting up uh, myself as a user, uh, which is a prison reform pursuance that uh, will help uh, individual journalists uh, cover prisons better. This is this, so to give you an example of how that would work. Uh, someone like myself would uh, create a pursuance and say, "Look, this is the prison reform pursuance. We're going to create an information package uh, for journalists, telling them how to use FOIA requests uh, effectively." Uh, for, uh, towards the BOP and towards the various state prison systems. Uh, here's how to uh, to deal with them. Here's how to identify problem issues. Uh, here's the, th the things you're going to face in the process. And here's some other resources. And then uh, the pursuance will grow and bring on people to work directly with the journalists and support them in this mission. 
uh, others to identify, you know, to do the mundane of work of identifying all these prisons and then uh, identifying journalists who have a history of reporting on criminal justice issues or other things that, you know, uh, make it appear they might be a good constituency for this. And uh, a, sort of a, 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 a network arises out of that to make this job efficient, to make this, this task efficient of, of matching these journalists, you know, identifying them, giving them what they need. Uh, and then someone else, you know, comes along, you know, to person who has specialty in broadcast media and local in local television, who would help afterwards, uh, you know, encourage local outlets uh, to run with the story to make sure that it actually gets somewhere, and uh, and then it could grow organically with time. And and in each of those each of those facets, uh, you would have people would come on, uh, sort of attached to uh, the basic personnel doing those major facets, and they would you know be able to again without. Uh, without a lot of management uh, from the original person or even from the person uh, they're working with, uh, take on tasks related to this, uh, again, in, in ways that, that, that are very much built around self-organization. Mm-hmm. And so with this or any other, any other uh, issue, it would be unusually easy uh, to set something in motion that can grow without uh, further uh, oversight from the originator. And Got so it. these are things that can grow, and, and but more importantly, they can interconnect. So a this prison reform pursuance, uh, because it's structured and because it's visible to others, uh, you know, other, other groups, other NGOs, nonprofits that will have that will have pursuance presences, uh, can see what they're doing and see, oh, look, they're 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 doing this particular thing. They have, you know, this group, Bikes for Africa, has this uh, logistics network here that we could probably share to distribute these pamphlets. Uh, you know, let's 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 approach them and uh, you know work something out. It, it's intended to make it easier as well for NGOs, for instance, who may who may be uh, located down the street from one another in San Francisco, but don't have a good, e- readily available way of seeing exactly what the other ones are doing. Helping them to co- to uh, you know connect and, and share resource information and ultimately grow uh, altogether into a, into a vast civic organism that's that's again uh, vast while still being refined. Now, not all pursuances will be visible uh, to others. There are obviously pursuances, including the, the kind of things, kind of ones that were doing the work I used to do with crowdsourced research into the intelligence contracting industry and that sort of thing, uh, that will not make themselves uh, visible to others. And they will have layers of, of sort of additional security within the system. And so, but the point is that every single group, every single pursuance will have a great deal of say in how they organize these things uh, in accordance with what they're doing. Fascinating. So just, I, I was just thinking of this example while you were explaining this. Is it, so like if you wanted to be lazy, like a lazy journalist who wanted to use sort of an engine of the crowdsourcing to do research for you, could you simply be like, hey, I'm working on this story. Here's a bunch of information. Please collate, you know, can you help collate this into a chronology for me? I mean, can someone even use it like that? Absolutely. That's okay. and that's one of the other use cases that we've uh, talked about a lot. And uh, I, I give you know an address at this conference in San Francisco last month uh, for research journalists. And that was my emphasis: is that we're not just trying to reach journalists who really care about what they're doing. Uh, that would be a, a poor model, wouldn't it? We want to be able to reach the lazy journalists, the majority. <laughs> and so we can show them. And that's the thing: is we can show them how this not only makes them more accurate, you know, by by going beyond the the editor. Uh, journalist model, which which derives from 17th century London and has not been fundamentally updated since. Uh, and going beyond that and very and very quickly and easily creating this self this self-growing network of people who, just like on Twitter right now, journalists are always getting tips, some useful, mm-hmm. some not. Uh, they're also, you know, 
uh, in a very informal way, in an inefficient way that also kind of brings its own problems. Journalists are already out there doing crowdsourcing in a very primitive fashion. Uh, so this is, is something that they can use very easily to set up something more rigorous, something that can grow and refine itself over time uh, without without risk and without even you know without even having to do much. And so that's that's obviously an important uh, point of appeal to the press. And, and, and we have obviously journalists uh, who have already who have already used this. It'll, they'll be they'll be in the system when it launches. And as others see them use it and see this and and realize this isn't some silly thing. It's not a uh, it's not something to be uh, embarrassed about it, just because it's new. Uh, after the early adapters see it, then the other more herd-like journalists will start using it, just like with everything else. Now I'm just trying to imagine what it would have been like if something, you know, if, if the Podesta leaks went through a system like the Pursuance Project mm-hmm. instead of how that how it, you know how it played out and what what how that would have looked different. <laughs> it's just an interesting thought experiment to think about because I, I mean I would imagine that it would have. You know, on the other side, there would have been a lot more, I guess, coherent and solid um, narratives about what was actually in those emails. Oh, absolutely. I mean, obviously, you know, I have direct experience with crowdsourcing, uh, and my experience is all sort of experiential from from the, uh, the stuff work that I did with Anonymous in 2011. You know, and so a lot of the the extra features and kind of and kind of default settings are informed by. You know, not just this broad concept of let's crowdsource journalism, but also uh, knowledge of here, here are the problems that run up. Here's the real mundane problems that it would be hard to predict. You really have to see them for yourself uh, that we're trying to uh, take into account while doing this. And so obviously, you know, I have no academic background in this. I don't have a journalism degree, uh, but I do have a national magazine award. So, hmm. uh, you know, so, so the thing is, it works and we can show that it works and we can show. I mean, I, I'm getting a lot of credit for things that really, you know, that that I didn't do. And that's partly because media is inaccurate. It's also because you know I I built, created a crowdsourced system. It was very it was very amorphous. It was just really an IRC channel. Uh, people came in and out over a year, but uh, you know we we discovered a great deal of stuff. Uh, some of which the media, the wider media, acknowledged as important. Some of which they didn't notice. Uh, you know, which which is why that any crowdsourcing strategy uh, has to be supplemented by another strategy of figuring out how we uh, get the press to do a better job of, of uh, looking around and seeing what's going on, uh, you know, and, and reporting on those things and, and rolling, you know, uh, taking the ball forward. And that's that's something else you can do with this system. I'd be, it'd be difficult to get into the nuts and bolts of that here, but it, it's definitely something that we also emphasize is, you know, not just the, the becoming informed, but acting. Well, you have a Kickstarter right now that everyone should donate to. It's up for another eight days. How else can people support the Pursuance Project, Barrett? The, the better population we have to start out with, uh, the, the more quickly this is going to become exceptionally useful across the world for activists, journalists, whatever. And so obviously anyone listening to this, if you yourself uh, have some skill or, or at least have some time that you would like to uh, use to do something different, uh, you should sign up at pursuanceproject.org uh, to be informed when we launch. Uh, if you know of an NGO or a university department or a local media outlet or a forward-thinking journalist or a college student or a professor or anyone else out there who you know could use this uh, and who would be inclined to use it, please let them know about it. And that's, that's, that's the, the main thing we're asking people to do, really. Great. And let's talk about the body of work that got you here, Project PM. Um, which you founded almost a decade ago. I mean, give us a quick summary of the most important findings from that project pre-Stratfor 
including these social media ops and psyops from H.B. Gary? Well, we, there, was, there was a number of things, some of which we discovered, some of which others discovered, uh, other, other sort of private citizens who weren't working for outlets that we ran with. And then there were some things, you know, there, there was a number of things, and it was all collated on this website. Now, I'll tell you what the FBI and DOJ thought was most important, and those are the things they listed in my search warrants, uh, you know, when they raided me originally in 2006. Uh, Michael Hastings, uh, the late Michael Hastings, ran that search warrant on BuzzFeed a while back. People can see it. It lists H.B. Gary. Uh, which was a company that was involved in this Team Themis conspiracy that Anonymous foiled when it uh, stole their emails and provided them to press. Uh, a very, a very indefensible uh, attack, really, on the fundamentals of democracy, uh, by which they were going to put out disinformation, uh, set up very mainstream activists and watchdog groups on fraud charges, uh, do DDoS attacks, the sort of thing, the sort of the, the same kind that. Uh, American activists uh, got raided for uh, 40, 40 at a time back in 2010. Um, just a number of things that 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 made the rounds uh, in the press for quite a while, but uh, they didn't really uh, finish up with the story. They didn't really bring it to a close. Very little actually happened because of it. Uh, fundamentally, uh, persona management um, that was uh, that was one of the most extraordinary and, and dangerous uh, methodologies that came up out of this. It was again, it was discovered by by a non journalist who just kept going through the emails. Uh, we picked it up. Uh, spent another year, you know, looking for specifics on this. Syncom eventually had to admit that they did run this this system, which involves uh, creating fake online people, uh, deploying them on the internet, uh, creating a system that allows a single operator to control a great deal of them uh, in ways that where they can communicate, maintain communications, maintain you know ongoing conversations uh, while the software remembers. Some of the basics, it can you know translate the uh, communications immediately, even maintain a particular cadence. Sounds uh, familiar to today, huh? <laughs> very pervasive. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's one of those things that you know had had it gotten wider attention. There was a, there's a short little article in the in the Atlantic about it. You know, the Guardian did some stuff on it. Uh, you know, we were out there talking about it for for a long time, uh, and I've essentially went to prison over it. Uh, that and a few other things. Um, had that been received the attention that was that was clearly necessary, uh, because this is such a, a dangerous fundamental technology that strikes directly at information and can be used to manufacture events. And given that our press is in the U.S. in particular is so event driven, uh, that's a powerful tool. So again, had they followed up on that instead of just forgetting about it uh, when the next shiny thing came about, uh, we could have avoided a lot of, uh, or at least we 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 could have better dealt with the things that are happening now. Uh, of course, a lot of the, the the bots out there, you know, this is not persona management. This is a more it's a more primitive version of that more sophisticated version of sock puppetry. But it's all kind of the same thing. It's all it's all a, a practice of of mass disinformation uh, that's you know being used by governments around the world, companies, etc. Uh, something else called Roma's Coin, which was a, a very complex apparatus uh, that I wrote about for the Guardian and on our uh, wiki. Uh, back in 2011, uh, which also again, the U.S. government was running, it involved uh, some of these same companies that was involved in the Team Themis scandal, uh, as well as uh, Apple and Google, which uh, met with uh, Aaron Barr, the disgraced H.B. Uh, Gary contractor, uh, to talk about how they could support this this bid for this this recompete operation. Uh, as you can tell, it's a, it's a long and nuanced story, but the bottom line is that, is that it, it, it was so complex and used so many different technologies, including uh, natural language processing, phone, uh, phone games, uh, just dozens of different aspects that we never quite figured out what it was exactly. All we could kind of say was it's something vast. Here's what it entails, and here's who it's directed to, and that was, of course, the Arab world. 
another thing that didn't really get uh, much pickup uh, in the U.S. Der Spiegel talked about it after I wrote my thing on it. Uh, Anthony, Lieutenant Colonel Anthony Schaefer, who, who was, who, who, you know, uh, announced Able Danger uh, previously, uh, went on RT about it, spoke about it, but that was really it. Uh, recently, Max Blumenthal actually did a piece following up on it, uh, mentioning the Apple Google angle, because it turned out that a couple of the companies I was investigating were also working with Cambridge Analytica back then. Yeah, uh, I was just going to say, now Cambridge Analytica is just everywhere. I mean, from Kenya to Nigeria. Yeah, so the lesson, I mean, lesson here is, you know, and Palantir, I should also note Palantir, which is, you know, has now become a major player. And back then, you know, was caught red-handed, not just being involved in this conspiracy against uh, Glenn Greenwald, against WikiLeaks, against activists uh, who were opposed to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, uh, but also, you know, tried to claim it was only one staffer involved, uh, even though we had emails showing that it was many, including their, their uh, lead counsel, Matthew Long. Uh, put that staffer on leave, and then and when the media inevitably uh, moved on, they uh, promoted him, and now yeah. he's head of political affairs in D.C. So, but the, the, the great lesson here is that so much of this work was done by volunteer researchers, either for my group or for Telecomics, which is another crowdsourced uh, information group, uh, and just sometimes random people who are just clever and attentive and, and care more about these issues than, say, a lot of career journalists. Yeah, it's funny how in the Stratford leak also is like downplayed by the mainstream media. And, you know, I just read this ridiculous NPR post about you calling you like a drug addled criminal, <laughs> comparing you to the guy from uh, Mr. Robot. Um, it's just really insane. I mean, let's talk about the Stratford leak, because in 2011, obviously, you're reporting on the anonymous leak, which exposed vast networks, secret collabor collaboration between governments, corporations. Talk about the major findings from Stratfor and why you think it was it was downplayed by uh, these pundits. Well, they, I mean, mostly almost didn't understand it. Uh, so Stratfor is what is known mostly now in the context of myself and Jeremy Hammond's uh, uh, cases, uh, since that was the main point that we were prosecuted on. But it was originally, you know, both Hammond and myself. Uh, the reason we were being surveilled bef well before that was was the other. Uh, the other things that were even worse than Stratford that they didn't want to talk about in a court setting, like you know the team Themis deal and all that, uh, Romas coin persona management. But uh, but Stratford itself uh, turned out to be again a major player in all this. Uh, a firm that's very indicative not just for the things it was doing, and the, and the things it was doing includes spying on uh, the uh, Bhopal activists who are trying to get Dow Chemical to provide more resources to the people that it maimed. Uh, the families of those that killed in the 80s during the Union Carbide disaster. Uh, so they're spying on uh, re really the most despicable, despicable uh, operation uh, that you can undergo as an espionage firm. Uh, they were also, it turned out, uh, sharing, getting information from the FBI on private citizens, as in they were working with Coca-Cola to monitor PETA. And uh, we have emails there showing that uh, the FBI was providing this private firm with the, their files on this entirely legal uh, activist group, PETA. Uh, you know, things like that that are very indicative of how, how all this works and the various points of interface between the private or supposedly private, uh, you know, free market uh, intelligence contracting world and the government that we pay for. Uh, and, and so, there, so there was a number of revelations along those lines. There was Trapwire, uh, something that they were helping to promote. Uh, it was a facial recognition system that became controversial Australia, but later on, uh, and something that, that uh, incidentally, they also did a great job of hiding who was behind it. Uh, there was an article that came out in the Australian press about Trapwire when there was talks about putting this facial recognition system in, uh, I think, 
mass transportation systems, I believe, if I'm recalling correctly. And they took the article down the next day uh, after uh, Cubic complained. Uh, they had very successfully uh, not only hid exactly who, which company uh, uh, which company owned the company that was doing Trapwire, and it was Cubic, which, which owns a great deal of this and was also involved in persona management and its subsidiary Intrapid, which they also hid from The Guardian quite successfully. Uh, turned out to be a fully owned subsidiary of Cubic as well. Uh, and that was only found when one of our, one of our volunteers in Project PM found tax filings uh, proving it. But uh, it all goes to show that not, not only do we have this struggle whereby we have to find these things uh, and get people to care about them, uh, but just maintaining that knowledge uh, against sort of the the day to day, you know, frizzers, the day to day friction uh, of, of journalism as practiced. Uh, that's an ongoing effort, and, and it's not something that's that could be done haphazardly in the way that we try to do them. It has to be done. You know, it has, to, it has to be ultimately the result of a great deal of systematic thought and experimentation and uh, sort of sharing of resources and ideas among people who have experience in these things. Yeah, it seems like this is the logical conclusion of what you were reporting on back then, Barrett, where now we're in a world where the lines are increasingly blurred and these private entities are just doing vast amounts of damage that we can't even track and trace until it, the damage is done and how many other companies like Cambridge Analytica, like Stratfor, like Blackwater operations are going on and which is complete and total impunity. It's extremely disturbing. Like you said, on top of the day-to-day assault coming at us from all sides. It's, it's a fundamental problem, again, because it strikes at information. It yeah. makes it more difficult to determine the truth, and it makes it – and to the extent uh, that, that they employ things like persona management uh, as a harassment tool, as a disinformation tool, they can use it to very easily target effective journalists exactly. or activists or whoever. And it's, it's it, because it's so little known still, despite having been revealed over and over again and admitted to by CENTCOM, it's, it, it's going to be hard for individual journalists who are targeted – to do anything about it, uh, to the extent they complain and say, "Oh, I'm being targeted by these mysterious internet things," uh, that that's that's gonna you know that's gonna take a lot of your coinage up. You're, you're gonna lose uh, credibility among people who don't really know much about this, uh, and that's that's what frightens me the most. Mm-hmm. I mean, at this point in time, it seems like you know a lot of people are now having understandable paranoia about things like being shadow banned on social media, and that seems to be sort of a growing mindset among some some serious journalists you know um and that's you know it's very worrisome um but in terms of targeting i mean the fbi pursued you multiple times it, it appears for multiple different reasons that subsequently ended up with you being raided and arrested um and following just trying to follow the chronology of why they officially went after you it seems a bit convoluted to say the least and also disingenuous as to the officially stated reasons can you can you just walk us through the chronology of what happened and and also on the intercepted podcast with Scahill you seem to agree with him that the the FBI's official reasons for charging you were BS and that it was actually in some ways a punitive measure for other things that you've done can you sort of yeah, walk please. us through that experience and and speak on that as well. well, there's two there's two levels of information that can be used to to explain this. One of which is the one that I was not aware of until I was already in jail, and we started getting uh, there's no discovery from the government, uh, and that was secret search warrants that it began against me, uh, starting just a few weeks after my involvement in uh, exposing the Team Themis uh, conspiracy with H.P. Gary Palantir and the DOJ having set that all in motion. That was when they started surveilling me, and they obtained those search warrants. 
these these are still non-public, so I, I hesitate to depend on them uh, in explaining this. But uh, you know, that they, they they use some very bizarre and, and demonstrably false uh, allegations to get those search warrants. And, and one of the true ones, what was still bizarre, was that I had called an employee of in-game systems after we discovered that it had been spying on us during our assistance campaign to the Tunisian Revolution. Uh, I just called them up. I recorded the phone call and said, hey, I'm calling to ask why you had written this report about what would happen if Julian Assange was assassinated and, and this report about Anonymous and why you were working with this guy, Aaron Barr, who was copying down things I was writing about building uh, dark nets for Egyptian activists. I'd like to know about that. And they didn't really tell me about it. They reported to the FBI. And the judge didn't find it suspicious that they would put that in a search warrant as if that was some illegal thing. Um, now, the, op- the information that's available that anyone can see, again, is that search warrant. Uh, that was executed March 6th. Now, that was four months after Strapper happened. What Strapper year was this? This was 2012. Uh, this okay. was March 6, 2012. And Strapper happened in December uh, 2011. The search warrant executed against against me did not mention Strapper. It mentioned seven other things, including Project PM, which was our my contracting group, Echelon2.org, which was uh, then the site in which we compiled all this information, H.B. Uh, Gary, in-game systems, uh, InfraGuard, which is a uh, FBI uh, corp, uh, corporate sort of partnership for security that I really didn't wasn't involved in investigating much at all, uh, and, and that's it. I mean, that's their that's their words. Again, Stratford already happened, and, and everything about Stratford that they supposedly, you know, uh, later on, now you can see in the transcript of the uh, my sentencing hearing, you know, the, the prosecutor denying that this was about my investigation. Well, I mean, it, it, they themselves were, were searching for my. Uh, you know, for information about my investigation. That's what it was. And there was no mention of Stratford. They eventually charged me with Stratford because they settled on that as as having found nothing after having acquired all of my communications for, you know, a year and a half or more, after acquiring all my emails, all the email, my, all my mom's emails, uh, after having gone through my mom's files uh, at her house and my files at my house, and having all these transcripts and informants, uh, Sabu, uh, Hector Monsegur, who, as it turned out, uh, helps to oversee the Stratford hack, you know, which the FBI knew about well before it happened, well before I knew about it. Uh, you know, they ultimately couldn't find anything viable uh, to charge me with. And so the Stratford thing involving credit card fraud, that was a nice little thing where they could say, this is about credit card fraud. That the fact that they'd already established themselves that it wasn't about credit card fraud and that I had committed no credit card fraud, uh, the fact that their own forensics showed that I didn't open that file, which I had, I had links to, uh, as shown by the transcript of the IRC thing, thinking that it was emails, not knowing it was credit card numbers, uh, having never been involved in credit card fraud, uh, you know, by their own accounting, since they, they have everything. Uh, but that was still enough for them. It was still enough to confuse enough journalists like the Dallas Morning News here into thinking that they really thought I was committing credit card fraud. Uh, because, again, the media is, is an is a easy uh, – it's not, it's not a real factor in how the DOJ and FBI operate. They don't have to factor it in. They know perfectly well, just as well as I do, that it, it, the impetus, the onus is always on me to uh, point these things out. Well, it reminds me a little bit of what happened with Ross Ulbricht and the Silk Road thing. I mean, I mean, it's obviously quite different, but the way that the, you know, the media blasted mm-hmm. that ar- initial narrative was that he was essentially hiring, contract trying to killer. hire you know, contract killers. And that was sort of what most people were left with. Sounds like that was, you know, a method to essentially smear your character that you were just some kind of, you know, criminal who wanted to steal people's credit card numbers. 
Exactly, and, and luckily no one really bought that. Uh, I mean, it was something that that, that in in the the structuralism of a of a news reporter, of a Reuters reporter, or whatever, uh, they'll they'll put that in because they have to. That's because that's what it's supposedly about. Uh, you know, they would just say, well, that's what they claimed, and that's that's enough. But no one really, I mean, none of the articles, you know, the, the press eventually, af- after a lot of work by Kevin Gallagher, who who came, he was a former Project Yimber participant who came forward and built up this Free Barrett Brown group and, and, and lobbied, you know, people left and right to uh, look into my case. Uh, you know, luckily, New York, New York Times op-eds, Washington Times op-eds, uh, publications around the world, Reporters Without Borders, Glenn Greenwald, uh, Julian Assange, everybody, you know, Agreed that this was retaliation for my investigative work. The exact specifics weren't necessarily widely known or understood because it's a very uh, amorphous issue. There's a lot of lot of bits and pieces to it, but that was it, it, their case was so bad and so problematic and so bizarre. Uh, you know, including this gag order that they put on me uh, because quote an article I had written for the Guardian or quote had been critical of the government, unquote, uh, for <laughs> that's in the transcript. I mean, the fact that they seized, the only book they seized, and this, this is in their search warrant, and I brought it up uh, at my sentencing, right after I'd been sentenced, and uh, to ensure that it got into the public record, the only book they seized from my apartments as evidence was a copy of the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. What the fuck? And then later a judge, later a judge actually signed an order asking them to give it back, and so we, we have that to link to. I did, I did that as a method of, you know, just pointing out, this is not about credit card fraud. That's incredible. On your Wikipedia page, Barrett, it says, and, and it's links to back to a Daily Beast article that you wrote, and I actually couldn't find this in the article, but it says that you were required to pay almost $900,000 to Stratford. Is that actually true? And and even though you had nothing to do with the actual hacking? Yes. And, and okay. Uh, uh, it's $820,000 to Stratford, and then about another 80000 or 70000 to two other firms that uh, Jeremy Hammond hacked, one of which was a company in Philadelphia that sells uh, military-grade tear gas to the uh, Bahraini king- regime for use against protesters uh, that he hacked, and I provided him with it, with a message to put on the website uh, during his hack when we were supporting uh, the Bahrain uh, opposition. And the other, other one being, uh, oh, the law, Pumpkin and Farage law firm that uh, turned out to, that was defending the uh, the guy who committed the Haditha massacre and which we found was secretly working with uh, Alan West, Congressman Alan, Alan West, to uh, massage the proceedings. Um, I'd obviously committed neither hack, didn't know about either hack until it was already done, but uh, because I spoke to Jeremy Hammond during uh, and after uh, those things – uh, I was that was added too. So I was forced to pay the entire bill as provided by those companies without any any audit. Obviously, uh, that's my restitution. I was ordered to pay, and so 25% of my book income, for instance, uh, which is now what I'm living off of, my advance on the book that's coming out in February uh, from Farage, Strauss, and Garreau, uh, that goes straight to the government. And in fact, they subpoenaed Farage, Strauss, and Garreau. This is there's some articles about this in Reason and uh, Washington Times, I believe, and elsewhere. Uh, they subpoenaed them. They subpoenaed the Intercept. They demanded all communications. This is this was after I was out of prison. This is about a year ago. Uh, demanding all communications between me and the editors, and demanding all financial records. And then they they sent another order, ordering them to not pay me anything until further notice. Wow. And so I was still I still had to do this book. I still had it's been the next six seven months writing this book. But they could not, and and still are, are just now getting to the point where they're about to be able to pay me after a year. I have my in- income cut off. So it's like holding you uh, hostage, just perpetually. Yeah, it's, it's vastly unprecedented, and uh, and it's forced. I mean, my mother had, who was all, you know, we were already operating from about zero after this case. You know, my 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 legal funds were largely provided by by donors uh, who the DOJ spied on. That's a whole other story, and they got sued for it. Uh, there's a great article about that in the Washington Times. 
But uh, not only that, so so she's having to go through. She's had to expend all of her savings and, and what she you know what she gets uh, from her husband to keep me in this apartment I signed a lease on because I can't legally work. I can't go to another. I can't even go get a, a job as a day worker because that would immediately be subject to subpoena as well, and you know they would cut that off. I mean, it's 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 you know it's the kind of things that an article appears about it, and people are like, oh my god, that's terrible. And then you know I, I'm still left to deal with it. So right. nonetheless, we've managed to uh, push forward on the pursuance project and all that. You know, it's just, it's just another barrier. It's the kind of thing we expect. It's just the cost of doing business in this country. Yeah, well, more the reason to donate uh, to you to the pursuance project. And speaking of just unprecedentedness, I mean, you were initially facing over a hundred years in prison. We obviously don't need to need to explain what happened to Aaron Swartz for facing similar charges. But it isn't a joke when these sentences come down and are intended to break you down. Um, how do you see your entire case into the broader crackdown on whistleblowers, um, hacktivists, and, and how do you think your case was somewhat a legal precedent for the idea of just being able to be charged with a crime for simply sharing a link to a leak? It's a great reminder to those people who, who, you know, who think that uh, – who are now looking back with, with rose-colored glasses at our former pre- previous presidents you know, and, and – you know, Trump, as terrible as Trump is, as as unprecedented in many ways as Trump is, uh, you know, we were not living in a golden age of of you know Boy Scout, you know, lovable FBI democracy before he came into power. The Obama administration obviously was was terrible on whistleblowers. That largely that's because it, it coincided with the age of whistleblowers. There was there was very there was much less of that activity during the Bush administration or prior to that. The internet obviously facilitated it. Wiki, WikiLeaks obviously facilitated it. Uh, started a trend in which people started thinking about, you know, should I be revealing these secrets? Well, now it's viable. Maybe I'll do it. And so they responded in the in the only way they could think to do, which was, well, I mean, several ways. Obviously, one some of which was going after WikiLeaks as hard as possible, uh, allowing other corporate uh, interests to do so. You know, as the DOJ did with Team Themis, and uh, by by trying to send a message to other potential whistleblowers that you will not. Uh, you're not going to get commended for this. You're, you're going to face uh, a considerable uh, obstacle in your life, and we may take your life from you. Uh, so obviously I was in a position where I had to fight back the only way I knew how, which was to not uh, give in to that. One of the things they were trying to do in my case was to get me a plea uh, to one of these 12 or 11 counts of identity theft, that credit card thing. Uh, you know, They originally charged me with 11 counts. That, it was 22 years uh, uh, minimum, like consecutive, uh, like like you will serve 22 years in addition to these other charges if you if you lose this in trial, kind of thing. And then they said, well, just you can just plead to one of them, for, and you'll get two years in prison. And I refused because had I done that, they would have had a precedent to uh, arrest and prosecute anyone who links to something that turned out to be uh, under some vague definition stolen or something. Uh, now, obviously, the statute in that case, you know, they had to drop those charges, the actual charges themselves, eventually, because uh, the statute did not say anything. It had no relation to what had actually happened. Uh, it was not identity theft. They were credit card numbers. Uh, credit card numbers are not uh, government-issued IDs yet. And uh, so, I mean, it was problematic for a number of reasons. The EFF wrote a great brief on that. But uh, so they, they dropped them. But, uh, so, but, but I was in a position where, obviously, I don't want to spend forever in prison. Hmm. Uh, I want to get back out. Uh, but I also want to do it the right way, and so it was. It was difficult, and you know, obviously, I, we had to get the right lawyers who were willing to understand that, and, and who were willing to understand that I'm going to keep writing from prison. You know, I wrote you know that Guardian piece uh, when Snowden came out, uh, explaining the background to all of this, and that's the thing I got on the I got the gag order for. Uh, kept writing these columns, you know, kept getting in trouble in prison for for investigating the prisons, et cetera. 
uh, you know, there, there was an ongoing, it was just a long period of, of retaliation and, and counter-retaliation and maneuvering and all that. And, uh, you know, those are the good old days. And I don't remember actually where I heard you say this, Barrett, but um, you were comparing sort of your experiences in prison sort of to what, what Assange is going through. Many people explain away sort of Assange's trajectory into embracing alt-right and right-wing figures and publications like the Gateway Pundit off the hook by saying that he's essentially been in solitary confinement for six years. But, you know, after your prison experience, you, you said something like that you didn't turn alt-right after being in prison uh, in similar conditions. Can you elaborate on this? Or, or, or you know, I'm, 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 if I'm paraphrasing you or misquoting you, please also correct yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it- I, I, I served time and knew people who had, who had done more time than that in actual solitary confinement where there was no internet access, where there no, were no visits from, from whoever you wanted, as he had for a number of years. Uh, none of them, uh, except for the ones who were already Nazis, uh, turned into Nazis or, or associated with Nazis or, or excused Nazis or, or worked with Nazis. Uh, you know, there are ways. This is, not, this is not a game, this stuff. And it's not something that we're, where we should be excusing uh, anyone for anything. Uh, we should not be holding our own side to lesser standards uh, than the other side. Uh, if you're a revolutionary, then you have to act like a revolutionary. You know, you can't, you can't act like a 21st century, you know, soft, you know, just random millennial. Uh, you have to actually accept consequences and, and, and understand the risks you're taking and avoid doing things that are going to – that are, first of all, contrary to your original mission. You have to avoid lying to your supporters and to your constituents and to your donors – uh, which WikiLeaks, in my mind, did when it claimed that it wasn't involved in the election whatsoever. Uh, they, they claimed that on, on a Reddit post, and they claimed it on, on WikiLeaks itself in a message from Assange, uh, you know, while they were doing something else entirely. Uh, you should not be uh, attacking Snowden on your Twitter account and, and, and claiming he's looking for a deal with the government when it turns out secretly you were dealing with the DOJ and, and promising to reject things that they would give you a deal. None of those things are appropriate. I understand that they're, they're things that people excuse these days. That's why we don't have real revolutions these days for the most part in the West. Uh, I take revolution uh, in the act of, of uh, civic insurgency uh, rather seriously. And again, having being in, in being one of the few people who really knows and understands uh, Assange's position, uh, uh, you know, again, I, I have I've always maintained, you know, that, that I respect a great deal of his work. He's why I got into all of this. He was the person that that I worked to try to support and defend. Uh, in, in you know, in my work with Anonymous, every, everything, you know, connected to WikiLeaks back then, even the Tunisian Revolution, which is the first thing I got involved when, you know, was spurred in, in, in part by uh, them cutting off WikiLeaks because it was publishing uh, documents about the Ben Ali regime. Uh, it was not fun for me to come out of prison and see this stuff and see him uh, uh, taking Trump's side over CNN uh, quite falsely and, 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 and uh, doing the various things he was doing. It was not fun to, to keep uh, quiet during that period. Uh, but I did go and, and do a you know fundraiser for him with Kim.com and some other figures around him, you know, a few months after I got out and kept supporting him. And I will always uh, support his rights vis-a-vis the governments that have been going after him, not for his, his faults, but for his virtues, going after him since he published uh, information about Guantanamo Bay. Of course. Uh, but having said that, uh, he is responsible for what he does. And those of us who have skin in the game and who have put ourselves at risk uh, in this game, uh, we have the right to, to point out quite candidly what we think he's done wrong. 
and why we think, uh, you know, that other approaches are needed besides this black box approach where someone gets away with with impersonating other people, claiming he has, you know, the stuff that he's he's been known to do. Uh, you know, I've given him several opportunities to talk to me about this. He's a, he, he and uh, people around him have approached me uh, in the last six, seven months since I started criticizing him and, and offering to explain, and they never do it. Uh, because I think they know, they know that there's nothing that's going to satisfy me. That that's that there's nothing they can uh, tell me that's going to uh, remedy the things that they've clearly done. I mean, that all makes perfect sense, Barrett. And I mean, and I guess um, I have become similarly disillusioned with WikiLeaks for different reasons than what you're describing. But I definitely fully understand where you're coming from. I I sympathize with it. And I guess I mean I started to become disillusioned when they started openly promoting right-wing No, and that was the other thing. I mean, that was the other thing I heard about. I mean, I knew yeah. about that in person, and I'd heard about that. Uh, I, I was, you know, told, you know, quite a few things, and I saw a few things, that, you know, that were in publications I subscribed to and all that, and so I, I kind of got the gist of it uh, and then saw the specifics when I got out, and absolutely that, that too, was, you know. But, but again, I, I, my, my position was always that he, you know, that's his right. It's his group. He can do whatever he wants. I'm going to criticize it eventually uh, when I feel it's appropriate, which is what I did. Uh, and, and that was the other. Th- I mean, that was the first thing I knew about that alarmed me. I was never opposed to them releasing the D. You know, the, these uh, emails during the election because yeah. that's an appropriate thing for them to do. That's within their purview. And I, you know, a lot of the Democrats that were that were suddenly opposing them. Well, of course, a lot of them are always really opposed WikiLeaks because because he, he was leaking things when Obama was president. And why would you why would you take issue with the government when Obama's president? Is I guess is their their stance. Um, Obviously, I spent half that administration in prison, so I didn't have the same viewpoint as these uh, party line people. But, of course. Um, you, know, you know, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a major part uh, of the criticism, but it wasn't my fundamental criticism. It, 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 was, it was enough that I was, you know, quietly asking around saying, what, what, what is he doing and what, you know, what does this mean? Is, this, is, he, is he conning these people? Is he, you know, I, I've worked with a lot of undesirable people, quite frankly. I've been an undesirable person. Uh, all of us are, are – are, uh, you know, all of us are at fault for, for our shortcomings, for the things we've done and left undone. Uh, you know, uh, and I, that's why I take that into account when I criticize anyone else. But uh, yeah, there are certain things that that are, are that cross the line. And dealing with with disinformation artists like Jack Persobia, who pronounce this person's name, all, a lot of these people that came out while I was away and I'd never heard of. Uh, that that for me crosses the line as well, absolutely. Well, yeah, I think we were pretty devastated, my brother and I, when when WikiLeaks and Julian Assange became these key figures and fomenting the bizarre anti-establishment narrative when it comes to the CEO of the U.S. empire. We're talking about Donald Trump. I mean, I'll never forget when the official account promoted spirit cooking and Pizzagate. And to this day, to your point, Barrett, tons of people base their worldview still on what WikiLeaks has validated about these conspiracies. Um, because they think there must be something to it if WikiLeaks has validated it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's and that's an unfortunate thing. But it's it's you know, and and that that will always be the case whenever you leak documents. Uh, right. People will always take them, you know, and that's why it's important to do the kind of things that we're trying to do and, and and create a venue whereby serious people who who share values that that we you know make a value judgment and say this is that evidence based thinking is is better than these other uh, dark age alternatives. Uh, we have to create these spaces where the people can can experiment with ways to do this better because we're still very early on in the information age. We know very little about what can be done. Uh, we 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 lose we lose sight of what the internet is by familiarity. It becomes silly to us because you know we think of the internet as this thing uh, because of what we used it for for the most part, uh, and so we lose sight of what this really is, which is a fundament a vastly fundamentally different 
uh, circumstance that the human, human race is now in all of a sudden, relatively, historically speaking, uh, that can do a great deal of things as soon as we get serious about doing them. Yeah, and at the same time, I obviously don't think his politics should deter him from being a free man. And it's just completely absurd how many people have just called for his prosecution that were lauding him during the Bush administration. This hyper-partisanship is just the most toxic bullshit in the world. And he's got the same kind of of, uh, fair-weather supporters now among the right. And a lot of them were upset. You know, if you go look at the comments uh, when he was – when they were publishing uh, ICE information about ICE uh, a few weeks back. And just the comments that were from his from his new supporters, they were they were very upset. Uh, suddenly, they were not into transparency. I guess he should have claimed that they were involved in in uh, in, in uh, pedophilia, satanic rituals, and maybe they, we would have got, got away with it. But uh, well, spe- well, speaking of uh, uh, just on that subject, really quickly, you don't have to speak in detail about this whole QAnon phenomenon, and I don't know how much you're aware of it, but it appears to be an evolution of the PizzaGate narrative, but it has similarities to the group anonymous. So as someone who was reporting closely on anonymous, um, what do you think about this whole phenomenon of like a new, this, this QAnon Pied Piper sort of uh, figure that is kind of trying to do the same thing that anonymous was trying to do in certain ways, but is leading people to trust the president and convince them that Trump is fighting the deep state. I mean, that's that's quite bizarre. I don't have a strong opinion as to who is actually behind it and what the exact end is, but I am pretty sure it's it's someone basically using just cold reading and giving you know giving people what they want. You know, and these people who supported Trump and who 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 and not just the right wingers, people who really believe that Trump was going to go up against the deep state and 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 do, and, and take back up the, the the torch of John Kennedy uh, in that regard. Uh, rather than accept the fact that they don't know what they're talking about and should from now on just stop stop putting their opinions out uh, and listen more, uh, they prefer to believe that everything that's happening is actually uh, towards that end. And so it's very easy for QAnon, whoever this, this is, if it's multiple people, whatever, uh, to keep them on the hook, uh, even though, you know, and I've looked into it a little bit and I've seen enough to show know that like some of these some, some of the people who follow it believe that it's a president because they've misunderstood some timestamps and they thought that QAnon had used some phrase uh, before the president had tweeted and that the president's secretly speaking to them that maybe it's the president himself, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that there's going to be this operation storm where they arrest, you know, thousands of the of the, uh, the secret cabal of the Illuminati. Uh, you know, and, and nothing is going to dissuade them from that. Uh, it's it's another great example of why something like Anonymous, which you know, it has no charter, it has no, it has no structure, it has no membrane, and so Anonymous, just like it, just as it became, just as as it as it, uh, with some help from the inside, uh, went from being a sort of trolling, uh, nonsense thing, to an activist group, uh, partly by accident, partly by by pushing from the inside by certain people. Uh, you know, without a membrane, without a charter, it could become something else as well, and it has. It's become a, a largely irrelevant, uh, distributed uh, thing made up mostly of Facebook profiles of, of 17-year-olds. Uh, you know, it, it's different, obviously, than it was, and it was, and that, and that's one of the other major fundamental questions that we're trying to address with pursuance is how do we, how do we allow a movement like that to do do those same things, to bring in people quickly and to use their ideas. Uh, and, and to allow talent to rise and, and apply itself. Uh, how do we do that in a sustainable way? How do we take this jellyfish or this amorphous organism and as it grows, give it an exoskeleton, mm-hmm. but not an exoskeleton that will uh, freeze it at that moment, but one that can expand with the organism. So the organism can remain viable while also growing. 
Uh, that was that's the real difficult question. But it, it's it's not just it's not just a little it's not a it's not a uh, unimportant question. It's not a niche pursuit. It's not a hobby of mine. This is one of the great central facts of the 21st century uh, that whoever solves this problem of uh, bringing large numbers of people using the internet into various arrays. Uh, that that value system is the one that's going to have an advantage uh, because that will be best equipped to deal uh, in the great sphere of human collaboration, human coordination, human conflict. Uh, that will be the the uh, that will be the the killer app, as it were, or the uh, the doomsday device. Um, because uh, governments, you know, are, are simply human organizations. They they are simply uh, fictions that that exist in a way because people ascribe to them and believe to them. Uh, but they can't evolve in the same way that these things can. The only reason Anonymous uh, did not become a uh, essentially all-powerful uh, vanguard revolutionary organization was because it wasn't an organization. Uh, it couldn't grow beyond that thing. It, it only did had its successes based on partly on luck and partly on circumstance because the right people were around at certain points to provide some structure here and there or to push it in the right directions. Uh, uh, but they were overwhelmed eventually by this influx of people and by its own, you know, by the, the faults of those involved, including myself. Um, but uh, the nation state, you know, is, is an old institution and, it, and it's, it, it serves certain functions. It's very good during doing certain things. Uh, but it, it's like an organism that, that's around and suddenly the uh, earth cools quite a bit. Uh, if it can adapt very quickly. Uh, other organisms that thrive on the cold uh, will eventually uh, not just contend with them for power, but uh, successfully challenge them in many spheres. And just switching gears, I wanted to talk about, I wanted to get your opinion on the situation with Reality Winner, a whistleblower who leaked documents to The Intercept. Recently, John Kiriakou uh, directly blamed The Intercept for blowing reality winners cover and essentially handing over her identity um to to the federal government to to charge her how do you think um the intercept should have handled that and why do you think she's not she's just not receiving that much attention among sort of the you know whistleblower promoting community activist community uh, so in response to the uh, the intercept and how they deal the journalist who handled that uh apparently has a history of being uncareful uh, a well-documented history that I think John Kiriakou Kuri uh, has commented upon. He's one of our board members, incidentally, in pursuance. Um, and, and only being familiar with what's been put out uh, in so, some of the longer-form articles going into the nuances of it, it looks like Reality Winner made mistakes on her end as well, uh, in addition to uh, the, the I, think, I think, mistake, you can call it, uh, that uh, the journalist of the Intercept did when he sent the actual copy uh, of the documents to the NSA to ask for their comments. Uh, now, there's been a lot of people have made more of it than, than uh, needs to be, than should be made, you know, claiming that the intercept is a honeypot, uh, which uh, I have reason to believe that it's not. Uh, and I have yet to see a cleansing explanation that it is. It just looks to be like just carelessness. Uh, you know, the intercept, of course, despite having been founded in large part to be the better outlet, uh, you know, I quit the intercept. And, and that was, that was, you know, after, after, you know, writing that column for them for, for, from prison and out of prison uh, and having won them some nice awards uh, because of, there were some contradictions in there. But between, you know, uh, evidence-based uh, journalism and editorialism and uh, the, the sort of heuristics that uh, 
mediocre editors tend to engage in when they evaluate stories. Uh, I had trouble getting my editor there, for instance, uh, in one of my articles uh, to acknowledge that the Romos coin thing was a real thing and that Apple and Google had actually met with these companies, including TISC, to work on this recompete for the uh, for the ongoing project that Northrop Grumman had once run. He just wouldn't believe it at first. Uh, and me pointing out that I was in prison because of these issues and understood them quite well and could easily direct him to the emails in question uh, coming from the same source as the Team Themis emails uh, came from, the ones that targeted his founder, Glenn Greenwald. Uh, that didn't help at first. Eventually I wore him down, but I shouldn't have had to do that uh, from prison about an issue on which I am uh, have evidence, you know, have the, the proof, have already written about for The Guardian. Uh, I was very upset about that. And I eventually, the reason I eventually quit was because he objected to the article I submitted uh, announcing a pursuance system. And that later article later went to uh, to uh, Vice and ran under the uh, title of "What Shall Be Done" or "What Is to Be Done." Uh, and, and so, so there are the thing is, so the Intercept it has a lot of critics that don't know what they're talking about, but it also has a lot of supporters that don't know what they're talking about. And uh, uh, the reality winner situation. I mean, to the extent that that we eventually look, see all the facts, and, and have a chance, you know, from the court records to determine that yes, they screwed up as well. Uh, that would not surprise me at all. Really unfortunate situation. I, I agree with you about the intercept. I think that there's a lot of uh, great writers, and then there's. I just also disagree with with some of the writers there as well. But um, no, I think it's absurd to call it a honeypot. Um, yeah. On the but, whole, it's a great—it's a great outlet relative to other outlets because I mean I can make the yeah. same criticisms against you know anything out there. Right. I I just wanted to, on a personal level, Barrett. It's just interesting to me. I mean, when you went to prison, the U.S. was a completely different place. It seemed, um, obviously not in the long term, but I mean, just the divisiveness and political rhetoric. I mean, Occupy Wall Street was very fresh. There seemed to be a lot more of a bipartisan push against war at the end of the Bush administration, and a fight against just banking banking institutions and corporate power in a general sense. A lot has changed, obviously, and now we're battling these mass hallucinations where people either think that Russia is literally behind everything, every issue, or that anything that doesn't just praise our dear leader is fake news. I mean, when you got out of prison, were you surprised at how much more polarized and divisive the country has become? And I guess just what do you think on a personal level about the current dialogue and political sphere? Yeah, obviously, by going to prison when I did and getting out when I did, uh, the, the the difference was was more palpable to me. Obviously, there was more you know it was in greater relief uh, to my eyes than it was for someone who lived through it. Obviously, I, as well, I got a sense of those things going on uh, from prison, from the conversations I had with people, some from you know reading magazines and, and that kind of sort of thing. Uh, but yes, I mean it, 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 some of some of the people that that I spoke to from the phone in prison and when I immediately got out, uh, I, I was I was very struck by the distress. Um, mm -hmm. in their voices, uh, especially shortly after the election. And, uh, you know, the, 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 these, these were problems in many ways that were, that were going to come to a head. Uh, the institutions, the establishment, the kind of things that, that kind of have been running uh, much of our infrastructure as a society for a long time, uh, you know, they left so many doors open. They, they made so many failures that were not, that went unaddressed. There was, no there was no negative feedback, no mechanism to correct, you know, very severe failures, and so they they allowed themselves to be, be made vulnerable to all, any and all comers, uh, including uh, much worse people with much worse ideas and much worse protocols. Uh, so it's just, it, it was it was a very difficult situation because you know it, it, it's definitely harder now to make any kind of nuanced argument. A lot of that has to do with the fact that Twitter is our one of our main means of communication, and Twitter, of course, is a 
it does not allow you to state, you know, I believe this, but having said that, blah, 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 you know, it's really just made for, you know, this thing is stupid, you know. And then everyone says, oh, you, be- you must believe in this as well. I'm going <laughs> to extrapolate from your views. Uh, you know, that's how human beings think. We have to extrapolate. We have, if someone says, you know, no, these colors don't run, you know, the flag burners should be executed, you're probably going to assume some other things about what they believe. But they might not. They could surprise you. Uh, it happens to me all the time. Uh, it's very difficult because I do comment on the Russian situation quite a bit and then have to explain to people that, no, I actually don't trust the CIA at all. And I'm not a fan of the FBI. I want it abolished, just like ICE. Uh, I don't think Comey is a great secular saint. <laughs> I think he's a fraud. Uh, but I also happen to believe this, this, and this. Uh, you know, these specific things. And, uh, you know, that's that's harder to do now. And, and it and it obviously, I think it's a self-perpetuating thing that, that you know, makes people more likely to to uh, sort of fold themselves within. Uh, there's, a, there's a website that's very useful. It's called memiarandom.com that I've always read because I used to report on blogs uh, back in the day. I was a media critic, you know, for much of my career. Uh, and it gives you – it's a very useful site because it shows who's linking to what. It shows what the stories are and then what blogs and other outlets are linking to them. And as all – but the, this has always been a problem where you're always, you're, you're always seeing uh, you know, outlets commenting only upon those things that reinforce their views or that they think they can make an argument against uh, and otherwise avoiding the issue. And so you have large numbers of people who honestly uh, don't know uh, the evidence for certain things. Uh, because it's not in front of them. Uh, there's no point where they have to engage with the other side and see the best arguments and argue against them. There's no point whatsoever. And so it's it's pretty inevitable. I mean, anyone who wants to, who really wants to, uh, can see the best arguments on both sides of an issue and thereby conclude. You know, first of all, is one person hiding from the argument? Is the other is the other side uh, engaging on it? And is one you know does one side actually have an argument? Are they engaging correctly? Uh, more than any, more than ever, you can find the truth of things if you're the kind of person who wants it and who knows how to do it. But beyond that, you know, we we had enough problems in the way that our national conversation here runs uh, before these disinformation techniques uh, came in more into play, and and before you know, evidence-based thinking took such a huge hit from this this strange phenomenon that's that's kind of emerged. And so uh, it, it becomes more and more important to uh, try new things. Frankly, because the Washington Post is not going to man the barricades. They're not capable of doing so because they were part of the problem. Uh, now there's another problem that is a reaction to their problem. Uh, they're not going to be the ones. Uh, uh, they can't make the argument that, yes, we need evidence-based thinking because they've fucked up so many times on their own. How are they going to be the, the poster boys for restoring how things were when how things were were uh, – led to how things are now yeah and it's a complete mess their methodology with and the hamilton 68 dashboard is run by like bush administration officials i mean it's a total fucking mess what they're doing to try to track this this russia stuff i mean and the corporate media i mean let's face it it's been weaponized for the empire to to manufacture several narratives over the years so yeah i mean to your point hopefully things like the pursuance project will help kind of reestablish some sort of critical thinking and media literacy, which is precisely what we need in this complete uh, disinformation era that we're living in, Barrett? You know, there, there's only so much we can do in terms of in terms of informing people who don't want to be informed, and mm-hmm. that's only the emphasis to the extent that it's something that could be done, that, that should be done, and, 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 you know, it could be done efficiently. You know, the, the real emphasis here is always going to be, just like with, with Anonymous and Project PM and all these other groups in the past, is going to be getting that self-selection saying look you know we're 
some 15% of the population of the world, and we believe in open societies, and we, we care about evidence. We care about science. Uh, we can't prove to anyone else or even to ourselves that we're right about these things, but we're just going to have to take a leap of faith like everyone else in history and act on our belief that what we're, you know, that our sort of quietest, you know, philosophy that, that uh, what we're doing is less wrong and, and, and more correct and rely on our methodology uh, and, we're going, and, and work together and build something that over time can serve as scaffolding around the institutions of the world. You know, with scaffolding, uh, the building is in dis- disrepair. Uh, maybe is crumbling in some parts. There's cracks in the foundation. Needs a paint job here and there. Maybe not everyone has to agree on what should ultimately be done with the building. Not everyone has to agree on every single part uh, that's being proposed uh, to renovate the building. But they can build scaffolding and, and collectively work on the parts that they do agree on because otherwise they're not going to achieve anything. Uh, and they can, you know, over time, they can convince each other about the other parts uh, in close cooperation. Pursuance is scaffolding around the state. And the other important thing about scaffolding is you can put netting on it. So when this, when the uh, building begins to collapse, the bricks won't fall on those below. We have to have in position. We have to start building a a mechanism, an apparatus, uh, akin to unions in some ways, but also akin to political movements and fraternal organizations, all sorts of institutions from the past that we can learn from, uh, and start building it and set it to expand and be ready so that we can both react to the next crisis and the crisis after that in a, in a better way, a more efficient way, more effective way, and also start building something else uh, that can appeal to people uh, on the strength of their ethics and on their values rather than nationality or geographical location or, or accident. Excellently said. Thank you so much, Barrett Brown, uh, for joining us today. Really appreciate your time, your efforts, your energy, all of everything that you've contributed uh, to make the world a better place and for your sacrifices. Everyone check out Pursuance Project. Their Kickstarter's up for another week. Please donate and please sign up to help uh, contribute to the effort. Thank you so much, Barrett, once again. Thank you again for having me. Thanks, Barrett. Thanks, Barrett. You rock. Adios. Adios. Adios.